Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are we? Well, we good? Good. It's so great to be with all of you. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. And it's so great for you to, um, I'm so excited that you've joined us this morning. We're going to start our Bible study today. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. If you're visiting Renaissance, know this. One of the things we love to do at the church here is we love to just do Bible studies. We, we kind of begin in one book of the Bible, chapter 1, verse 1, and we just kind of work our way through the book of the Bible. So a couple of weeks ago, we started a study in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be in Luke for a couple years. I think it's 2026 or something. We're going to be there. So we've already, we're, we've, this is like week four or five. And we're still in chapter one. Um, but I just want to, can I just say something to you just by way of introduction of getting started? Um, <laughs> I want to be real kind. I want to be nice. That's what I want to do. Um, listen, uh, I have a Bible on my phone. Does anybody have a Bible, the Bible app on your phone, right? Like I've got that stuff, right? Um, but here's what I want to encourage you. Like try to engage with your Bible, okay? If you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, there are hardback black Bibles underneath the seat close to you. You can grab one of those. And if you don't own one, take it home with you. Um, I'm not like, I'm not going to be that old guy that says you have to have a paper Bible. I would never do that. In fact, if I could tell you, honestly, I buy a lot of books. I probably buy three or four books a month. And most of the books that I'm buying now are digital versus paper copies. Um, and in fact, some of those books I'm, I'm buying audio. Anybody do audio books, right? Doesn't it feel like cheating just a little bit, just a little bit? Cause you can speed it up and you can really get through the books fast. But I'm just saying that there's a, there's a real benefit to like, having the, the Bible and, and writing in it and making notes in it and stuff like that. So I just want to give you two reasons why I think it'd be important for you to have a paper copy of the Bible. Number one is you can, you can earmark the pages, you can get used to it, you can write notes in it, and if you go through another verse, you know, like from previous months or something, you could see where your notes were from last time. And then here's the other thing that's a little morbid maybe, but um, it is what it is. Um, you're going to die one day right? Truth. Preach. Um, and then this can be your kids or your grandkids or someone else's. And they can, they can look at the, the things that you wrote in there and you can sort of pass those things along. I'm not saying you have to have a paper copy, but you should. You should have one. You should, be, you should have it in your car. And I'll encourage you, you should bring it to church. I'm not going to be legalistic about it. I don't give a rip. Hear me. Like, I don't care. I don't care. But I'm telling you, it's real helpful if you have a copy that you're, that you're working through. We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke for some time. Bring your Bible with you. Bring a pen. We're going to spend months and months and months in this book. You're going to get a lot of Bible study in it. So anyways, that's just encouragement. So I want to, before we jump into our passage today, we're in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. I just want to give us a little bit of a review of sorts that's what's taken place so far. So we are introduced to the author of the Gospel of Luke, who is, shocker, Luke, a guy named Luke, right? And he's writing this story, this account of Jesus' life. We call it a biography of Jesus. And he's writing it to a friend of his, Theophilus, so that Theophilus 
who is a Christian, we believe already, but he'll have a, a certainty of his faith. Luke was not a disciple of Jesus. He was not a follower of Jesus, but he came to faith in Jesus by hearing the message from someone else. And then when he heard the message and became a Christian, he decided to go sleuth it out, if you will, like an investigative reporter. He began to ask a bunch of people, what really happened when Jesus was here? Tell me all the things. And then he wrote an orderly account of all of those interviews, and he puts it in a letter or a book-like, and he sends it to his friend Theophilus so that Theophilus can read it, and he can be certain of the things that he believes in. And that's the book of Luke. That's what we're reading. And so we're trying to have this understanding. So at the very beginning of chapter one, we see, we're introduced to a couple different people, right? There's a couple, Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, and they're older and they're barren. They can't have a child. And then we're introduced to another couple, Mary and Joseph. They're betrothed. They're, they're engaged, if you will, but they're not married yet. And she's a virgin. You might have heard of her uh, at Christmas time. Mary's the virgin, right? And, and uh, the angel Gabriel comes to both of these people and he says that you're going to miraculously have a son. So Elizabeth gets pregnant by the natural way with her husband, right? You can think about that if you'd like. And then, and then Mary has this sort of supernatural thing that where God places his son Jesus like in the womb of a virgin. It's miraculous. It's wonderful. We celebrate it at Christmas every year. But the angel Gabriel had told Mary that when this happens to you, if you, don't, if you need some help believing this, go to your cousin Elizabeth because they're related. She was barren and she is now six months pregnant, or something. She's pregnant. And so Mary, we learned a week, couple weeks ago, she went with haste. She runs to Elizabeth. She travels 70, 80, maybe 100 miles. We think on her own. We're not 100% certain. It just, it just means this. She went. She had something inside of her that just she wanted to know what this angel said was true. And so she decided to go see it on, on her own. And she went and she greets her cousin Elizabeth. And it says, as soon as she says, hey, cuz, it's the, my translation, the Bible says that, that, uh, um, the baby inside of Elizabeth is, is John the Baptist. In fetal John the Baptist, he leaps for joy. That's weird, right? And he said he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then um, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she begins to declare or begins to praise Mary and God for all the things that God has done. And it's kind of like a song. I don't know that Elizabeth sang it out loud, but it's, it's kind of written like, a, like prose. It's got stanzas and it's like a song. And so that's where we were last time we were together. And now we see Mary's response to Elizabeth's song. And she sings a song back. I don't, again, I don't know that she sang it necessarily, but it's like poetry. It's written in prose with stanzas. And it's, it's a prayer of praise of sorts. Um, I'm calling it a song because it feels right. And other people call it a song. So we're going to look at this song of Mary. And we're going to read all of this together. We'll put the words on the screen, verses 46 to 56. And it says here, verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. And he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their, in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he has exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. 
And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And last verse 56, and it says, And then Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. So Mary uh, visits Elizabeth when she's about six months pregnant. It's get the impression from Luke that Mary stayed till just when John the Baptist was born. And then she left and went back home. So that's the, the verses that I want to dig through this morning. If you don't mind, let's pray together and ask God to help us. So Lord, we thank you for our time. We thank you for everything that you do. We praise you already for the work of your son, Jesus Christ. But we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would illuminate the truth for us. That you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear the truth that you have for us. So God, help us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm calling these, these two little passages songs. I'm not the only one that does it. If you read a lot of commentaries or a lot of scholars will call them songs as well. And in fact, there are five separate songs in Luke's birth narratives. So we had Elizabeth's song of praise. That's the first one. We have Mary's response. Next week-ish, I don't know when we'll get to it, we're going to, John the Baptist will be born and his father, Zechariah, who has been struck mute because he didn't have faith to believe that his wife was going to get pregnant, right? So here's a blessed woman. She's pregnant and her husband is mute. Say amen, right? So she finally gives birth to a son. The women got it. The men did Not so much. Right over here. But, but as, soon as, as soon as John the Baptist is born, like Zechariah's mouth opens, and what does he do? He sings. He sings a song. There's the third song. Uh, Luke chapter 2, you know this from your Christmas story, but the heavens open, the multitude of angels sing glory in the highest or something like that, and they come to the shepherds and declare that Jesus has been born, and he's wrapped in cloths in, in a manger, right, in Bethlehem. There's that. And then the last song in the infancy narrative is when Simeon, a man, is at the temple, and on the eighth day of Jesus, the day of Jesus' circumcision, he's presented to the temple, and, and Simeon sings. Now, why am I belaboring all of this? I'm glad you asked. R.C. Sproul says this. He's a, a pastor and biblical scholar as well. But he says, there are se several times in biblical history when the Holy Spirit inspires people to sing, such as the songs of Moses after the children of Israel had been delivered from Pharaoh. And I love what he says here. It says, it seems that when God comes and gives his people a song, <laughs> it is to celebrate some victory that he has wrought. And so Mary is singing a song. Elizabeth is singing a song. Like God has, has encountered their lives in such a way and transformed their lives in such a way. It appears that the Holy Spirit has no other response but to have people sing praise to God. You may have noticed, but when you came into our church gathering this morning, that the first thing we like to do is sing songs to Jesus. Did you pick up on that? Say amen. I'll move on. Yes. We can do it again if you'd like. I'm just saying. Right. So um, we don't do that just to get your blood pumping. How many people were here last week for Family Sunday when Christine stood up here and she said she likes to get the kids up and they do wiggle time for 15 seconds and they just try to get their blood pumping and burn off some energy. That looked really weird. I'm sure it did. But but we're not trying to do that just to burn off some energy so that we can get to the important stuff, the Bible study. That's the important stuff. L look at me, you late people that come in after the first song started. Look at me. You're missing it. You're missing it. We're praising the Lord. Stop being late in Jesus' name. 
right? We're doing this intentionally. We are exalting him. We are praising him. We're taking examples of Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and Simeon and the angels in heaven singing, declaring all the good things that God has done. Michael Card is a theologian and an author and a worship leader. He says this, that when Mary began to sing, she began to sing even more than she knows. And I think that's somewhat true. In this little song that she sings, she talks about God doing something for her, not just her, but she's going to do, that God is going to do something for generations and generations. And we'll get to that in a minute. But she's like, she's seeing into the future. We don't know how this is. The spirit of God is doing this, whatever. But she sees that her son, Jesus, the, the, the Messiah, the Lord, is going to come and he's going to do something for the earth that no one else can. And in her song, she like prophesies about it. Like she foretells the future that something's coming from this babe in my womb that is going to revolutionize the world. She doesn't even understand it yet. Jesus has not performed a miracle yet. He hasn't even been born yet. We haven't changed diapers. We've done none of that yet. But something inside of her, the spirit I believe is revealing to her that he is going to do something magnificent. And so she is singing something that she doesn't even know to be true yet. David Pawson is a, a theologian as well as a pastor. He said this, that when people come together to pray and to sing praise, that praise can be infectious. And we see it all the time when we watch sporting events. I had the wonderful opportunity to watch Illinois lose yesterday in person. <laughs> right? Every time, just so you know, every time I go to watch the football team play at Illinois, they lose. Don't ask me to come. I'm just telling you. But it's so great when people are praising, like Houston wins last night, whatever, if you're happy about baseball or whatever, it doesn't matter. But when you're in a sporting event, you can see people start to celebrate and celebrate, and it's contagious. And the same is true in church, should be in church. So it's quite possible that the person at the end of your row wasn't feeling the first song. I don't know. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. I don't know. But you sing anyways. You praise anyways. And then next thing you know, maybe the person next to you is singing. It's not like you're not trying to coerce them, but I'm just telling you, man, we just start to sing praises to the Lord and it catches. Anyone know what I'm saying? All right. So anyways, that's really good. So anyways, so Mary begins her song of prayer, her, her, her sort of praise, if you will. And notice this, that she doesn't ask for anything. That we oftentimes when we think about prayer, we always think that we're asking, Right. So let's pray. Let's pray to God. And we pray, Lord, would you this? Would you this? Would you this? We could really help with this. I could use some help with this thing over here. But Mary, if you look here, starting here in verse 46, 47, 48, she doesn't ask for anything. She just praises the Lord. Look at this in verse 46. And she gives us a good example is what I'm trying to say. Verse 46, it says, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The words that she's using, my soul and my spirit, first notice that it's in the first person. She's talking about what she has experienced. She's talking about an encounter that she has had. Now, we can talk about the encounters that other people have with the Lord, and I think that's great. But there's something unique and special about your testimony, the things that you experience with God. And she's experienced God in such a way that she sings praise to him. To her soul and her spirit, speaking to the most, like the innermost part of her being, something has so moved her on the inside, she can't help but sing praise to God. This is not an intellectual and understanding like, oh, yeah, God is, yeah, the Bible says it's true. So we'll praise him because of that. No, no, she has been moved by something 
that God has been so good to her, has been so faithful to her, if you will, by choosing her, and that she's been moved, and she's fully and completely praising and exalting the Lord. And she, she says that she wants to magnify the Lord. I love that word. In fact, if you've heard of this passage of scripture, it's called um, the Magnificat of Mary. If you're from a church tradition that maybe sings this, a Roman Catholic or something, but it's, it's from the Latin. The word Magnificat is the first word in Latin of this little prayer. And, and it just means that my soul magnifies the Lord. What she's trying to say here is that everything else in my life, in the periphery of my life is gone now. And I'm focused and I'm magnifying the Lord in front of me. You know what a magnifier does, right? It just blows up the very thing that's important. When you try to magnify something, that's the thing that you want to see most. Let me ask you this. Is, is the Lord the thing you want to see the most in your life? Like how often do we spend time, no judgment, my hands raised too, but how many of us would admit that, that oftentimes we don't put Jesus on the center stage of our hearts and Mary, God bless her by example. She's like, man, my spirit, my soul is so moved. Like I magnify the Lord. I push everything else aside. It could be issues in your life. They could be problems. They could be blessings. They could be good things. But all of those things are second to the Lord who's in front. How many people want to have the Lord magnified in your life? Yeah, Lord, do you see these hands? Come on, Lord, do it. With your Holy Spirit, you can do this, Lord. Help us change. Help us to, to be a people who put you first in all things. She calls the Lord here in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Like here we're seeing that she is calling the, the babe in her womb, right? What God has done, Savior. There is a teaching in uh, some churches, uh, the Roman Catholic Church for one, and this is not Catholic bashing, I assure you. Um, but they have this teaching in the Catholic Church, this sort of dogma that Mary was sinless, that she never sinned, and that's why God chose her to, to put his child inside of her womb. Well, obviously, Mary doesn't agree with that <laughs> because she too admits that she needs a savior like the rest of us. Amen? She, she says, Lord, you're the, the Lord, my savior. She also knows that there are iniquities in her own life that she needs saved from. And the idea that Mary was sinless is debunked here. She wouldn't even call, like, in heaven. Like, if we see her, she's like, this is ridiculous that they think I'm, like, sinless. It's silly. Uh, funny story, I was reading in my studies this past week, there's a Catholic priest down in Mexico. I don't remember exactly where, but uh, one time in his evening prayers, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and um, in their church, they have two statues up on their sort of stage, if you will, and one was of Jesus, and the other one was of Mary. How many people have seen little statues of Mary, uh, maybe your neighbor's house or whatever? Well, they had something similar in the church, and this, this Catholic priest is overcome by the, the Holy Spirit, and he goes and grabs the statue of Mary and takes it off the stage and walks her to the back of the church and places her in a pew. Right? Facing the stage where Jesus is. And when the congregation shows up on Sunday, everyone's losing their mind. Like, who put Mary back here? And he's like, dude, she's just like one of us. She's part of the congregation. Right? She needs saved as well. And if you read the story, that's what she says. Jesus is my savior. So she is not sinless. She's not perpetually sinless and all that stuff. That's extra. That's free. I won't charge you for that one. Um, <laughs> But, but she gives a, a two titles right there. We see number one is she's calling Jesus Savior, or God is the one who saves. He's the Savior. The title, God is Savior. 
The second title is what we see here in verse 48. It's servant. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's talking about herself, that God has looked at her. So he's the savior. She's the what? The servant. The, the, the slave is the language sometimes that we use. I love that he, she says he has looked. Um, we sometimes forget that God is intimately aware of everything that's going on in our lives. That he pays attention to us. I think the Bible talks about knowing that God knows the, the number of hairs on our head or whatever. I think that's just poetic you know, words just to say that God knows us in an intimate way. He knows us dearly. And so when, he, when she says that he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, he says that she is, she is moved with, with, with praise towards God because he has looked on her and, and she knows that he is paying attention. And she's a humble servant. Again, she's not a co-redemptor. Jesus is our redeemer. She is not part of that. She doesn't share a role in that redemption. She's not Sarah. We don't, we don't, she's not a mediator. We don't need to pray to Mary, say amen. We have one mediator, that is Jesus Christ alone before God. We don't need someone else. So we don't do any of that stuff that some of the other religions or Roman Catholic Church gets into. Love those people, but they just miss it on that one. Just throwing it out there. So Jesus is the way, yes? And I love this. And it says, and verse 48 continues, and for behold, from now on and all generations, the people will call me blessed. And we do. Every year we celebrate Christmas. We get out the nativity scene with a little figurine of Mary or whatever, right? And, and we have blessed Mary. We, we read passages in the Bible like this. talks about Mary being blessed. But just picture what I'm trying to say here is that if someone is blessed, then it, it alludes to a blesser. So if someone's been blessed, then someone must have blessed them. And when we say things like, man, you, I, I pray God blesses you or that you're blessed by God, what we're saying is God did something in your life. And this is in stark contrast to coincidence or luck that the world might throw around, right? Things just sort of happened. One time a guy in church came up to me. He goes, Jeff, because we were talking about this very thing. He says, that's why in the church we don't do potlucks. We do pot blessings. <laughs> and I said, that, sir, is the lamest joke I've ever heard. <laughs> and we are not calling them pot blessings at this church in Jesus' name. We call them potlucks. We don't care. I mean, we don't believe in luck, right? But, but blessings point to a blessor. God has done something. And this is what Mary is saying. Something has transpired in her life, and it's not because of her. It's because of God. Ah, oh, this could free us so much. that so many, of us, so, much, so many of us try to earn, earn, earn from the Lord, and he just wants to give, give, give. So we can just sit down and let him bless us. The first thing we do is we just receive Jesus as son. That's what we do. We let God do a work in our lives through Jesus. Continuing on, verse 49, I'm trying to run through this stuff real quick. For he who is mighty, he has done great things for me. This is Mary's praise. He has done something for me. He is, God is not just mindful of Mary. He is mighty for Mary, is what one commentator said, that he's done something for her. And holy is his name. Holy just means set apart. God is separate from everything else, man. Everything else that the world is trying to sell you, everything else that culture might say is what you need. God is different than all of that stuff. He is holy and he is set apart. And his mercy is for those who fear him, verse 50, from generation to generation. I love what Jess was saying earlier about the, the cross of Jesus. And she had that sort of picture of a courtroom taking place. You guys heard all that, right? It's wonderful. It's just beautiful. But she said, and it, it carries for generations, 
for generations. It's not just for me, but it's for my kids. It's not just for my kids, but for their kids. Like this story is true for all people. And this moves Mary to pray. And then it moves not just for what what God has done in Mary's life, but then what he's going to do in the future. And this is where it gets sort of interesting. I mentioned it gets sort of prophetic, but just she sort of speaks into the future a little bit. But he has shown his strength with his arm. Now, God is spirit. God does not have a body. This is a term called anthropomorphism. Um, He doesn't have an arm, so we don't think that God walks around with just one arm or something. But when we're speaking about the strength of his arm, what we're talking about is a, a metaphor for his power and his might. The strength of God's arm speaks of his power. And in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and in Joshua chapter 32, it talks about how the Lord's arm was strong enough to save his people. And she's talking about a day when God's going to save his people. And it's through the strength of his arm. It's through something that God will do. It's not going to be based on something that we have done. He's going to help, we would argue, the helpless. That he's going to do something for people who are helpless. And if you know the story of sin in our lives, that we are helpless to overcome sin. You know you're helpless to overcome sin, right? And you know you are because you try it all the time. Right? This is the year I'm going to change. This is it, right? And I'm telling you, that was my life too. But when we, when we surrender to Jesus and he makes us new, empowers us with his Holy Spirit, we're no longer helpless to overcome sin. We're no longer helpless. So he, he can do something for us. Mary's alluding to this, that he's going to help the helpless. Verse 52, it says he's going to bring down the mighty from their thrones and he's going to exalt those of humble estate. God is going to flip this world, so to speak, upside down. That he'll, he'll take thrones and empty them of their rulers. He'll take those who are proud and lofty and he will, he will debase them. He will bring them low. Not just to bring them low, but to bring them low that they might have an understanding of who he is. This is the one beautiful thing I love about the, the, the God of the Bible is that he is a judge, as we've talked about this morning. He is someone who judges wickedness and sin and all that stuff. But when people are in a position and, and they don't understand how real God is, that he will oftentimes knock the legs out from under, underneath them so that they can realize that they can't stand on their own. Um, in, in some of the um, um, like Alcoholics Anonymous and some of those groups that meet like that, it's when you get to this realization that, that you've hit rock bottom. Is that the language that we use? I don't remember. But you've ever been, ever been to a place when, you, when you, you know you can't go on anymore, that God oftentimes, he brings us to that place. And here's what I love, but he doesn't leave us there. In his great love, he will flip thrones over. Many of us sit in our own thrones. You are in charge. You are large and in charge of your life. And the Lord is like, that just won't do. It won't do for you. And so he'll flip the chair. He does it all the time. And it's not punishment. It's not it's not judgment. It's, it's, it's just to loose you from this false idea that you've, you've got it in control. You need to know the Lord. And so he will help the helpless. He will flip the, the script, if you will, or, and help the humble. And it says, verse 53, that he will fill the hungry with good things. And the rich will go away empty. I don't have time to do this, but Mary is actually quoting 
a song of praise by a woman named Hannah from the Old Testament. Second Samuel, you can read it on your own. Second Samuel 6, I think. But there's, there's something about um, in her song of prayer, Hannah's song of prayer, that, that Mary picks up on. And it's this idea that the, the rich will go away hungry and the hungry will be fed. All that to point to this one reality, that there's something that's, that God is going to do. He's going to flip things upside down. Um, if I could just pause for a moment and just get you to consider that in the Old Testament, there's a common motif of this revolutionary change or upside downness of the kingdom of God. In the New Testament, it carries through. Jesus will oftentimes say things like this. If for those who are first will be last and the last will be what? First. There's a, there's a turning around. In fact, if I could share this with you, there's, um, there's a moment in, in Luke's gospel a little bit later. It's in chapter four. I'm going to read some verses here in a moment. But in Luke chapter four, it says that some of the people, the townspeople that he was preaching, he goes into the synagogue and he's preaching. And it says the townspeople got so upset with him, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Hear me. They wanted to kill Jesus. And do you know why? And it wasn't because he was teaching in the synagogues. It was because what he was saying about how God was going to flip the world upside down. Let me just turn to Luke chapter four. You don't have these. Well, you might have these verses on the screen behind you. I don't, I don't know if we have them or not, but I want to start here. Luke chapter four, verses 25. I'm gonna start in verse 25. But Jesus says, but in truth, I'm going to tell you, and he's, he's looking to Old Testament stories, that there were many, many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, right? You guys know the story of Elijah. And when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and there was no rain and there was a great famine came over the land and Elijah, check this, was sent by God, I'm throwing that in there, to none of those widows, but was rather sent only to Zeph, Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So all the Jewish widows were were we're going through a drought and we're starving. There was no food. And God sends the prophet Elijah not to help the Jewish widows, but to help this woman from Sidon, right? She's not a Jewish person, right? And so here's what we're starting to understand, that God is going to do something for non-Jewish people that the Jewish people always thought should happen to them only. And it frustrated them. The Jewish people listening says, no, wait a minute. God's supposed to be honoring us because of who we are and who our ancestry is and who our daddy is and all the things that we do that is religious. But, and, and Jesus is like, no, no, you don't understand. And then he goes on and he says, verse 27, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, different guy, name sounds familiar, right? Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, who was the Syrian. Again, there were many lepers that were Jewish, but God did not heal them. He didn't clean them. He cleaned the Syrian, the enemy of God. And it says, look at this next verse, verse 28. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Verse 29, and they rose up and drove Jesus out of the town, brought him to the brow of a hill in which they were, the town was built so that it could throw him down a cliff and kill him. Why are they upset with Jesus? Not because he's teaching truth. He's teaching something like this. He's, listen, you think you have position in God because of who you are. You're an Israelite. You're Jewish or whatever. And he's saying all of that is going to be stripped away. And the only people who will gain something will come through Jesus, myself, the Messiah of God. And that is the only way you're going to get it. And this frustrated the religious people. Here's what I know about religious people. They're the most prideful people you will ever meet. Say Amen. And here's why. Because religious people, they just think that they are earning and earning and earning from God constantly. They misplace this idea that Jesus Christ is the one who saves them, not their own religious works. 
oh, I got so much I want to say here and I don't have enough time. And um, you're welcome for that. I just know that <laughs> it's going to take a dark turn. Uh, maybe next week. We'll see. Maybe we'll do part two next week. But just, just know this, that they were frustrated because Jesus says that the, those religious people who think they've got it are going to lose it. And the people that don't have it are going to get it. And the same is true in our own lives. Praise God. Amen. That those who think we have it all worked out, right, think we're doing it on our own, without Jesus, you're not. And again, he'll, he'll debase you. He'll bring you low so that you can hopefully be lifted up. This document, this Magnificat, this song of praise from Mary, has been um, called by a guy named Stanley Jones. He was a missionary to India. Stanley Jones says this, that the Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the entire world. That the whole world will be flipped upside down because of the work that Jesus is going to do. David Pawson again says, God is the greatest revolutionary of all. He's the great leveler, the great lifter, and the great humbler. That those who are exalted will be made low. Those who are made low will be exalted high. And, and this is by design, on, on, by God, for our benefit. This is what helps us. And, and all too often we think it's... Um, all too often when difficult things in our lives sort of shake us, we think we're being judged by God. Like, man, I didn't go to church last week. That's why my car got a flat. Anyone? Anyone? That's why my coupon at Burger King had expired, and I couldn't use it. Couldn't get it my way because, because I didn't go to church on Sunday. Right? I mean, i got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm one of those people who believes that what Jesus did on the cross, that, again, that just did so eloquently described for us, like as a courtroom scene, that, that our price um, the price of our sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Anyone? Right? I believe that, 100%. That there's no sin that I can commit tomorrow that will undo what Jesus did some 2,000 years ago. Okay? I do believe also that God has placed his Holy Spirit inside of me and I get to live a different life. So I don't keep going on to sin. You know what I'm saying? But, but here's what I know. That I am free from all of that thinking of trying to do more and to try harder for my salvation. I don't have to do that because Jesus has done it. Mary has some sort of understanding of what's going to take place in the future through her son. And it frustrated the religious people. Religious people can't fathom this idea that God would save people like, like Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, who works for the Roman government and exploits the Jewish people. And Jesus chooses him to be one of his disciples. They can't stomach the idea that Jesus would point to a man in a tree named Zacchaeus and say, hey, come down, bro. Come to your house for ribs. Well, probably not ribs. You know what I'm saying? I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight because they're Jewish. It's kosher. Wink, wink. You get it? Okay. All right. Catch up with me. Stay with me. Yes. And, and so the religious people get upset. Why is he eating with publicans and sinners? Why is he doing that? Religious people don't want that. They don't want them, they don't want Jesus to give grace to lavish, lavish it scandalously on the people who are undeserving of it. God only does stuff for people who try hard. God only does stuff for people who are Jewish. God only does stuff for people who go to the temple and, and do all the traditions. and all. That's, that's what they think and they, they miss it. I'm so thankful my wife is in here because um, I'm about to say something, and she's already nodding. She's don't do it. 
Don't do it. I'll let you guys decide. You vote if I should say it or not. Stacy says no. Sorry. Ha ha. So I don't get to say it. Um, but I, I do want to. I do want to make mention of just something that popped into my mind this last week. Um, I'm not saying this to try to be uh, con- um, uh, whatever. <laughs> I, lo- I love you. Um, there's a, 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 a television series that's uh, on Netflix that many of you maybe started to watch recently. Uh, I've not seen an episode. I'm not, I'm not for this or against this. I'm just saying, but th- it's out there. So this is what the culture is looking at right now. It's a series based on the life of Jeffrey, Dom- Jeffrey Dahmer. Anybody seen it? Don't raise your hand, but it's okay. Um, I remember when Jeffrey Dahmer was caught in Milwaukee. I remember I was young. I think I was just out of college or in college when that was happening. If you don't know the story, gosh, you, you all know the story, right? Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay. So anyways, he, uh, Murdered, cannibalized, sodomized, just a bunch of people, uh, end up getting caught, went to prison, and he's just a terrible man, right? We agree with that. Um, and I remember one time I was reading a book um, that told a little bit of Jeffrey Dahmer's story. Um, after he was arrested and sent to prison for multiple life sentences, there was a, a woman in Milwaukee, and that's the town that Jeffrey Dahmer lived in. Um, she lived in Milwaukee, and she thought um, about him, and she says, I wonder... I wonder if he knows about Jesus. I wonder if he knows about God and how God could, you know, help him in his, his life, the rest of his life. He's going to be in prison. And, and so she asked her pastor of her little local church to go visit him in prison. And just a side note, if any of y'all come to me and ask me to go visit someone at prison who's murdered 15 people, ugh, it's going to be a hard sell. Just throwing it out there. But her, her pastor went, and um, I wrote down his name so that you could look it up um, if you wanted to. Roy Ratcliffe. Roy Ratcliffe, a pastor up in Milwaukee. And, and he goes to visit uh, Jeffrey Dahmer in prison and just begins to minister to him and minister to, to, ministers to him for many, many months. And they strike up this strange relationship. He's his pastor, and he's in prison, and all this. All that to say... Um, he has an opportunity to share the gospel to Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer gets baptized in the prison there. And, um, and he tells a story that he became a Christian. Uh, not many months later, another prisoner um, bashed in his skull, bashed in Jeffrey Dahmer's skull and killed him. And he died. And this book I'm reading is talking about one day, you and I, by the grace of the Lord, might be walking in heaven and look over and see Jeffrey Dahmer. And everything inside of me was going, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. That's the same mentality that that the Jewish people, the religious people had of what Jesus was saying, right? This can't be true. And we could argue whether he was really a Christian or not, right? Everyone has that sort of deathbed confessional thing. The whole, I don't, that's not what I'm point. My point for me is like my initial reaction was like, that can't be true. I mean, that, that, the man is brutal. The things he did is terrible. And the Lord, like, just lovingly reminds me. <laughs> he says, hey, Jeff, let's take a look at your past. Hey, Sally, let's look at yours. Hey, Daniel, let's look at yours. So let's, let's look at all, right? And if, and if, and if God can, can save me, why can't he save him? And if he can save him, hallelujah, why can't he save me? 
this gospel that Jesus proclaims that Mary is alluding to just in this song of praise. Again, her baby hasn't even been born yet. We haven't even sell it. We haven't opened Christmas presents yet, right? This ha- but she sees that God's going to do something that's going to revolutionize the world. The lofty will be made low. The low will be exalted. This, this points to the great level. What's the, the old hymn? That the... It's level at the foot of the cross. Look at me quoting a hymn. Does anybody know that old hymn? At the foot of the cross, the ground is level because we're all made low right there. doesn't matter what we bring into the, the story of our lives. It doesn't matter. At the foot of the cross, we're all the same. We're all the same. So anyways, I'm real encouraged. I want to pray for us and then we can um, sing a little bit more and then we'll go home and watch your favorite team lose in the NFL. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for our time and ask that you take these words and cement them into our mind. That God, we can be free from all our past. We can be free from everything we've done, even the really bad stuff, Lord. And that in Jesus Christ, we're forgiven. In Jesus Christ, we're made whole. In Jesus Christ, our sins are washed away and we are made white and we thank you for that Lord thank you for the words that Mary sung that she looked to you as savior and not herself she looked to you as savior and not her her Jewishness or her religiosity she looked to you to save her when she saw herself as a servant as one who comes underneath the lordship of Christ and And may she be an example for all of us, Lord, as we lead our own lives, that we would be like Mary, that we would praise you, we would follow you, and we would serve you all of our days. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.